This episode of Barrel Tasting is brought to you by Visit Loudon, the tourist office for the Loco Ale Trail. With 35 breweries and counting, Loudoun County is one of the most vibrant craft beer destinations in the U.S. Listen, it has a diversity of settings that no other region can match. Now, Visit Loudoun invites you to hit the Loco Ale Trail, which connects the urban breweries of Sterling and Ashburn in the east to everything from bespoke tap rooms in historic towns to farm breweries with stunning Blue Ridge Mountain views out west. On any given day, enjoy one of more than 300 unique craft beers on tap, some made with traditional ingredients while others test your taste buds with unique add-ins like graham crackers and macadamia nuts. Enjoy live music, trivia evenings, fire pits, food trucks. There's always a warm and welcome atmosphere from dynamic brewmasters eager to showcase their award-winning craft ales, pilsers, lagers, stouts, IPAs, and more. So here's what you need to do. Grab your Ale Trail Passport to collect stamps, win prizes, and say cheers in Loudoun beer country. For more information, check out the Visit Loudoun website at visitloudoun.org. That's V-I-S-I-T-L-O-U-D-O-U-N.org. Now let's get back to the show. Uh, Of the styles that are high alcohol, um, they're not afraid to add easy fermentables in there such as sugar uh, so most of the, the like for instance the the one that I have here called lips that lie the golden strong uh, that style is almost 10% alcohol and it's uh, called what uh, lips that lie <laughs> <laughs> I heard you first I just want to hear yeah. it again um, <laughs> this is barrel tasting with Howard Fletcher a podcast that shines a light on the best winemakers, craft brewers, and spirit distillers in the DMV. So grab a glass of your favorite adult beverage, don't forget to subscribe to the show, and let's get started. Thank you, Asia. Hello, and welcome to Barrel Tasting. I'm Howard Fletcher. Today, I'm going to dive right back into the world of craft beer. But first, I want to ask you in advance this time to please subscribe to the podcast and rate us also if you've not done so already. Please give me five stars. We're growing by leaps and bounds, and by subscribing and rating us, it helps our podcast grow even more, and we want to get the word out about the craft beverage culture in the DMV. Thank you very much. Today, my guest is Tolga Baki, owner and head brewer of Hillsboro Brewing. He's also the owner of Belly Love, it's a craft brew pub in Leesburg, Virginia. Now, Hillsboro Brewing is located on the grounds of Hillsboro Vineyards, which is owned and operated by Tolga's family. The Baki family bought the property in 2001 with the hopes of creating a vineyard and winery with the help of their son, Kareem, who was at the time studying enology at the graduate program at Virginia Tech, which is a really great program. The family set off on their dream by planting each vine by hand in 2003, after which the first wines were served out of their tasting room the following year. Now, my guest Tolga assisted in the development and marketing of the vineyard and later turned his own brewmaster skills into a reality by adding amazing craft beers to the Tasting Room lineup. And we'll get into that in our conversation. I'll let Tolga tell you the rest of the story. We had this conversation in their beautiful Tasting Room tap room, which was just beginning to fill up when we started. I got there very early in the day. So you'll get a little bit of atmosphere in the background, which I like to capture anyway, but you'll hear just how popular Hillsboro can be. Uh, Although I was there, as you'll hear, 
not on when it's packed. Usually it's packed, but that was that's of course pre-COVID. So now with no further ado, here's my conversation with Tolga Baki of Hillsborough Brewing. Let's all raise a glass. All right, I'm here at beautiful Hillsborough Winery and Brewery with Tolga Baki. He is the head brewer here and part of the Baki family that own this place. Uh, welcome to the show. Don't Thank you. Me. Great to be here. I have to confess that when I spoke to, I believe it was your sister-in-law, uh, to set up this appointment, uh, I was doing so before the winer- winery. Now, the podcast I do is for craft beverages. Right. And I'm telling all myself about my lack of perception, okay? It's not because of anything else. Because I have been here within the last two years, when I understand that you incorporated the brewery with the winery, but I swear I did not notice. I was just telling the, uh, the young lady who, when I came in, who works here, I was like, oh man, I feel so embarrassed that I didn't even know that there was a brewery here. Right. First, let's t- tell me about yourself. Tell how did you get into the business, tell me about your family's background. Let's get a little background. Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's a loaded background. So uh, the family got this place back in 2001. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was actually supposed to be a retirement plan for my parents, which didn't quite pan out. Uh, <laughs> Dad got kind of bored and decided to plant some vines for, for as he said, some uh, friends and family. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, great. That's a great hobby, Dad. Go for it. You right, know? Right. I was doing my own thing. My brother was doing his own thing. And uh, he showed us his plans, and it, show, it ended up being a uh, rather large amount of planting. I, my brother and I looked at him and said, Dad, dang, how many friends do you think you have? <laughs> <laughs> now, how many acres is this? This is uh, almost 38 acres, and uh, uh, we have about 14 now under vine. Okay. Um, and, and we didn't start out with 14. I think there was about eight or so acres in the original yeah. planting. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of planting for It is, it is for a lot. For yeah. family. Yeah, for family. Yeah, <laughs> right. Family, way to go. Uh, so anyway, that's kind of how this thing started. My, my brother was at school at the time, and I think you'll, you'll speak with him as well for, for enology, studying mm-hmm. winemaking. Um, and he'd worked at other wineries, so he knew he was into that. At the time, uh, I was home brewing. It's just something I did as, as you know for fun, to be honest. Uh, I started that almost 25 years ago. And uh, made, you know, the, the standard progression uh, made a couple beers that were pretty good, several that were not so good, mm-hmm. few that went down the drain. Yeah, <laughs> learning curve. Learning curve, right. exactly. But, you know, after about 20 or so years, and uh, I said, this is kind of fun. I'd like to start this and, and maybe pursue this. Craft beverages are becoming more popular now anyway, something I like doing and something I know how to do. And uh, I spent a good two years working with the county at the time to Mm. open up a brewery here Mm -hmm. at Hillsborough. Farm breweries weren't a thing recognized by Virginia or the county at the time. Uh, So I helped them really pull their program together, you know, gave them all the data on what a brewery actually does, why it works on a farm, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so did you have to change some laws or there's some zoning issues that had to be? Yeah, exactly, out? exactly. Yeah. Both at the state level and at the county level. Okay. And um, after about a year and a half of working with them on that, um, uh, I got 
tired, honestly, of just kind of waiting and, and just spinning my wheels. So I went ahead and uh, rented a place in town in Percival and opened that up for myself. And that's, uh, that's Belly Love. And, uh, you know, started doing that in 2014. And uh, uh, <laughs> as, as luck and fate would have it, two weeks after I signed the damn lease on the place, the county said, okay, you can open up on the farm. <laughs> Like, well, yeah, great, but yeah. <laughs> I can't do both at the same time. Right. So once um, uh, I got my uh, you know, feet wet over at Belly Love, learned how to do this pro- uh, on a professional level, keeping production going, getting a decent recipe book ready, uh, and it, it became more or less stable on its own, I then could focus on opening the brewery here like we had originally planned. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, sat down with uh, my brother uh, and my father, obviously, and just kind of came up with a plan. Uh, got awfully lucky and ran into some really, really great equipment for a great price. Wow. Uh, which is really, at the time, unheard of. It's really difficult to find used equipment because breweries are opening everywhere, not too yeah. many are closing. Yeah, now what year was this you're talking about when you found the used This equipment? was uh, 2018. Wow, that is, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fortunate. So, uh, yeah, it was really fortunate. Uh, it just happened to be that our bank, too. So, um, anyway, so got our hands on the equipment, got it all set up, and we opened up in October 18 here with the brewery. And it wasn't, uh, on purpose, we didn't make a big hoopla over it because... Uh, not that it should be secondary to the winery, but it really is. Yeah. I mean, we're first and foremost a vineyard and winery. Right. Uh, we just happen to have some really great craft beer as well. Yeah. Uh, wine is definitely still our top seller, but you come here on any given weekend, every table has wine and beer on it, and that's it's pretty cool to see. Yeah, I was, uh, I, you know, I've come here usually on the weekends when I'm out with my girlfriend and we're doing our our wine runs and our wine right. tours. And uh, now we're doing this interview on a Tuesday before a holiday, uh, early in the day. So this is the first time I've ever come into your parking lot where there was only one other car. <laughs> yeah, right. That was like, <laughs> ah, it was just a whole new experience. Yeah. Usually we're like at the end of the drive yep. and trying to find this place. Yep. Now, I have to tell people that if you've never been here, they, this is a spectacular piece of land. And when you drive up, you see all the vines, and they have a one of the best views of any uh, tasting room, tap room in uh, Loudoun County. You really do. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. People keep commenting on that, and and after all these years, I still enjoy sitting out back with a beer myself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, after work, and it's uh, I haven't gotten tired of this. I mean, how can you look at that? That's it's just gorgeous. It is. It's it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. Let's briefly talk a little. We don't have to be briefly. Let's talk about Belly Love. Sure. For a second. Um, so you just you opened this brewery in Percival. How how did you decide what you are going to put on tap? What tell, tell me about a little bit about that process. So, um, craft beer in particular, I think it's it's very personal and it's very mm-hmm. unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in that regard, and I, I, wa- I have a hard time making things I don't particularly enjoy drinking. Um, I can, I have, I just don't like to. And I think it ultimately shows in the product too. Yeah. Um, so for me, I, I started off making beers that I, I enjoyed drinking. Um, keeping in mind I had to have a pretty diverse layout of different beers, right? So you had to have some dark beers, some light beers, a lager or two. 
um, uh, obviously an IPA or two or three or four. Right. You know, right. <laughs> you got to have that. Right. Um, but so what do you enjoy drinking? It's, you know, when I started, it was interesting. I was really, really deeply into Belgian beers at the mm -hmm. time, yeah. um, uh, which is why I actually tend to have two or three always in rotation. I still really enjoy Belgian beers. Um, and then, of course, I went through this phase like everyone else. I got into IPAs. Um, never, never too heavily. I like the Midwest IPAs um, than the East Coast IPAs, you know, not the, you know, tongue splitters or anything like that. Um, which I think is a beer name too. It's yeah, kind, of, kind of hard to say anything without hitting a beer name. Um, so yeah, those are the kind of beers that I, I particularly enjoy. Um, I like the malt effect a little bit more than the hop effect. So I like getting a little bit more of the um, malt notes. Like for instance, in that Marston you'll have, it's, you know, you really get a nice biscuit note, not too much sweetness. Um, yeah, I want to say before we started recording, uh, when I first came here, I got the... Blonde, what is it? What is the the blonde moment. Blonde moment. It's a very light beer. You can right. you please describe it yourself. Right. Well, it's just it's a, it's um, Belgian style blonde, yeah, okay. and uh, you know you do have the Belgian notes in there, a little bit of the floor, a little bit of the spice and clove, uh, but all in all, it's a relatively clean and clear beer, as you can see. Um, I do prefer to brew more in the traditional styles. Yeah. Um, I do some experimental beers where I'm playing with some weird things but for the okay. most part i like beer that tastes like beer yeah <laughs> you know? yeah so i was gonna ask you about that but we can get to know <laughs> well first let me say so when tolga came i said bring me a beer i asked him to bring me a beer that uh that uh, other than the blonde that he thought i should taste and he brought me this Morrison. so why did you bring me this beer um it's actually a relatively difficult beer to make it's mm. not uh you know, most lagers that are relatively clean like that, uh -huh. any little flaw kind of tends to show. And I just really like the, the malt and hop play in that. I think it's a well-balanced beer. Um, it is one that uh, uh, that recipe actually got recognized a couple of years ago in USA Today as one of the top ten Oktoberfest beers to try. And, and I thought a, that was kind of cool. So. You know, as I was taking this sip, it is very clean. You're, yeah. very, you're, you're quite correct. It's beautiful beer. I'm like you, and that's and so we'll get. This is I was going to talk about this later, but we'll get into it now. Um, you know, uh, I'm from Maryland, and uh, so I'm more familiar with the craft beer brewers there. Right. Although it's a, a national phenomenon, but in Maryland, it seems that it, almost across the board, when you go to places, I speak to these brewers, and they all like lagers. Right. <laughs> but they're making sours. Right. They're making. Uh, beers that taste like cookie, the cake, and right. all these types of things. And when I looked at your, before we had this interview, I looked at your, uh, your your list, and I didn't see any of those things on there. Now, you may have them on there at some time, and maybe you have one on there now that I missed, but I noticed that, unlike some of these other craft brewers, there was a, there was that a minimum, if not, actually none at right. all, as I saw. Right. And you just explained why that is. But right. do you ever venture there or... You know, I so there are a couple styles I will never make. Okay. Um, I will never make a pumpkin beer because I <laughs> just by you know principle I I'm standing firm and I refuse to make one, especially the ones that come out in July. Yeah. Um, we'll get along. Yeah. So <laughs> that's one of the styles I will not make. Uh, I probably will never make a barley wine. Um, just 
never been a fan of the style myself. Okay. Uh, never found one that I'm like, oh, damn, that's a great beer, you know, I like that. So I've never been really inspired by that enough to make it. And the last category is probably a sour, um, you know. Uh, my friends and I, other brewers and I kind of joke about the style like being invented by accident one day when a brewer just didn't keep his crap clean and it's, yeah. oh, hey, this is different. I wonder if I could sell this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it didn't come across that way, but I mean, I don't know. It's just, it goes against everything else that I make, so I don't want to do, I don't want to go that route. And again, because I don't appreciate it, um, I know I'm not going to be able to interpret it properly in, in a beer that I make. Yeah, and I, and I can understand that. I, I respect that a lot. So, um, you know, I was, uh, I, I'm from a generation where those things didn't exist. Well, <laughs> ditto. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, unless it was bad, you were homebrewing right. and the batch went bad. That's, right, it yeah. didn't exist. So <laughs> I, I have an appreciation for, and I always have these conversations with those brewers who make those things. How do you even combine the ingredients to come up with a taste of tiramisu you know that type of thing intrigues me yeah how you it might you might yeah uh, in, but for someone like myself a layperson i'm just like that's pretty neat but do i want to drink the tiramisu beer probably not those are two totally different <laughs> questions right and actually yeah. I, I go through that exercise a lot yeah because it's fun it's like yeah. hey how can i make a beer that actually like the you know the the, the two candy so i love mounds bars that's one of the mm -hmm. you know so I have a beer that I'm like, oh, you know, coconut, chocolate, that'd be kind of a yeah. cool combination. And I got pretty close. It's not, doesn't taste exactly like a Mounds Bar, obviously. It tastes like a beer. Right. <laughs> you know, after maybe you've had a bite of a Mounds Bar. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, this time of year, I've got actually coming out soon a uh, milk chocolate stout with orange because mm -hmm. I love those Terry's chocolate oranges, you know, Christmas time. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought that'd be a neat little thing. So I do like that from a technical standpoint, but they've, I've always kept them to the point where they still primarily taste like beer. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't taste like, like the whole milkshake stout thing and all of that. Yeah. I'm like, I mean, look, there's a place for it. Right. That's great. And the people that do it and do it well, right. um, uh, from a technical standpoint and a creative standpoint, I think it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. It's just not for me. Yeah. It's not for me. I, uh, another confession that I have is that uh, I had heard of Belly Love. I'm not a big, you know, I'm a, I'm a wine person. That's what got me into this podcast. But, uh, you know, the beer that I had back in my youth uh, was uh, Chaser. It was like water beer, like, sure. you know. And um, so I never really got into the craft beer thing. Now I am, uh, now that I have a little understanding of it. But I had heard of Belly Love. Your your uh, represent for, uh, your reputation preceded you. I did not know that it was that you were the person behind oh, Belly Love. Yeah, right. until I started, you know, uh, doing the research for here, which I found very interesting. My feeling in just again, this is anecdotal, talking to the consumers in Virginia as, com as compared to the consumers in Maryland. We just got off that uh, talking about stouts and sours right. and that type of thing. Do you find that you get a lot of requests for that thing, the stuff at Belly Love? I, 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 let me tell you, my perception is you probably don't as much as say the craft brewer in Mount Airy, Maryland. But which, which stuff are you talking about? I mean, the the they like come in and they say, "Do you do any sours?" Do you oh do yeah, any, oh no, we do get do that. Any, do you, yeah, yeah, we get we get that pretty regularly. People yeah. do want a sour. Yeah. Um, uh, no, we don't. 
you know, so, you know, we, at Belly Love in particular, I usually have about 10 beers on tap, uh-huh. 10 to 12, depending on, you know, what's, what's happening. You know, if you can't find one of them that you like, then I, I failed or, you know, I don't know what else to say. Now, you brew over there, correct? No? I do. I brew over there. I do brew now predominantly over here. Okay. Basically, I contract over there. But, mm-hmm. you know, I'm still doing eh, about a quarter or so of the beers uh, over there on that system. The system I have here, it's much, much nicer. It's mm-hmm. bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's automated, okay. <laughs> which is, you know, I'm not that, I'm not that young anymore, so right. the automation is kind of right. nice. Um, and building the system over here... Now, you said that once you, two weeks after you signed the lease, they said yeah. you could open up over here. Yeah. When did you start building the brewery or putting the stuff together over here at Hillsborough? Um, so, we opened in 28, so about 2017. About 2017. Yeah, 2017, we started okay. planning it out. Okay. Now, is that it, that barn back there that we're looking at? The, uh, the one on the left, yeah. The okay. one on the right is the winery. With that, the, the barn with the silo is the right. winery. right. Uh, to the right of that is the is the barrel and case storage room, and to the left is the is the brewery. Now, did you have to construct that building? So no, the the well, we had to expand it. the The building was already there. Okay. It was the case storage room for the winery. All right. Um, so we were able to consolidate everything, just uh, you know, clean up a little bit to basically get it to fit in there. I was uh, mentioning, and I keep. The, the, Who's the young lady that was that's working here? Alina. Today? Alina. I was, yeah. I was I was had a conversation with her earlier, and I was saying that you know it's, you you all aren't alone uh, as being a winery with a brewery on the grounds. I right. mean there are some others. Right. There aren't a lot, uh, at least that uh, I'm familiar with. Right. Uh, there's some that are there. There are the, in fact a lot of the ones that I'm familiar with are have have different ownership. I mean they just happen to be on the same grounds. You're the only family that I'm aware of, I'm sure you're quite aware of everyone right. out there, right. uh, that is doing both. When you decided, and you told your father and your brother, or maybe you just all came to the idea that you're going to bring the brewery over here, um, how did that, how was the transition into that, or, or, or bringing it together, or was it very natural or very easy? No, it was really natural. I mean, considering that we started the process you know, back in what 2013, uh-huh. when when no, actually 2012, when I was starting oh, to do right. the whole planning, right. uh, that was always the idea is to add the brewery here. So uh, it was really they they were just basically on hold waiting for me to <laughs> to have the time and whatnot to be able to come here and do it. Uh, and so yeah, when we pulled the trigger, it was it was really easy. It's just a matter of allocating the space for it, uh-huh. building it out a little bit because we had to put in floor drains, more electricity, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and that was it. The tasting room, you know, the, the law permits us to have the tasting room for the brewery and the winery in the same building, even though the physical production facilities have to be separate, okay. uh, that we can have a combined tasting room. So it was, you know, we didn't have to build that whole thing out. All we had to do was just basically add taps and a cooler. I talked to, uh, some, you know, there's some brewers who are doing the, uh, the, the red wine barrel aging right. thing, but they think, have you done any of that with with the beer? Yeah, yeah actually, I've made several beers with uh, uh, wine components added to it. In fact, for a long time, I've had a saison on tap, 
um, and uh, it's called Rusty Silo, and it was basically a really nice Belgian-style saison with uh, with uh, opal barrels. Okay. Opal is our white wine uh, made out of Petite Mansang. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, the, the little wine notes really complement the saison really well. And I've tried that with uh, red barrels um, uh, as well, different red barrels that we have, and it works really well. We'll continue doing that. Uh, but, you know, with the pandemic and everything going on this year, uh, that's one beer that's kind of fallen off the radar. So I got to bring that back once we, you know, get back to normal, if you will. <laughs> Whatever the hell normal means. Yeah, after that's, this. that's very true. Yeah. Um, a lot of brewers, because there's such a variety in what you guys do, uh, a lot more than, say, uh, wineries, because a lot of that is contingent on the whatever uh, grapes they have right. access to. Uh, is there a beer that is your specialty or your wheelhouse? Even though I'm sure you're, you can do everything quite well that you do, but is there something that you would say is your real thing? It's uh Maybe that's a little bit hard to, to point out. Um, you know, I have several beers that I'm actually really proud of. Uh, no one has ever answered that question with one. I want to let you know. It, well, because, it's, yeah, it's hard. And right. it, it's, it's weird. It, it, I, the other question I get asked a lot is, what, right. what, you know, which one of your beers do you drink? I mean, like literally all of them. Right. You know, yeah, it kind of yeah. depends on my mood or, right, or right. what I'm eating or where I am or who I'm with. Um, so uh, the ones that I'm actually more proud of are the... <laughs> as you said, uh, the, those lighter, you know, chaser beers, because those really, you know, you don't really begin to appreciate the, the big macro breweries until you start craft brewing. The beers they're making are technically the hardest beers to make, like literally the hardest beers that you could make. Um, and so for me, the ones like my, uh, at Belly Love, the Hellas and here, the Pilsner, uh, are probably the ones I'm actually proud of. And it shows that they're both our top sellers at each individual location. So, Yeah, well, you are um, not the only person to, to remind me of that. I, I made a, a derogatory comment one time about uh, a, a macro brewer who was, you know, American beer that's right. very commonly drunk. And the uh, the brewer reminded me, do you you have no idea how hard it is right. to brew that volume of beer consistently? Consistently that way. That is way. the key. Yeah, cleanly and yeah. consistently, yeah. time and time again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that's hard. That's hard. Yeah. You mentioned IPA styles. Right. Um, this podcast is about promoting the craft beverage industry in the Mid Atlantic. So I hear, you're the first person I've heard say East Coast IPA. I hear a lot of New England IPA and West Coast IPA. Right. And I'm waiting for a description that is like the Mid-Atlantic something, the Virginia something. Is there, is there something that you feel, maybe it hasn't been named yet or coined, but is there something that you think that the beer makers here, the brewers here, do exceptionally well or different than any of the, the beer makers in the country or, or something that's going in that direction and we'll be able to finally say that's a that's a mid-atlantic ipa or a virginia ipa or or whatever a virginia lager or, or whatever that's a you know that's a good one i have i've never actually been asked that and and strangely enough as you can imagine, all the brewers around here we're, we're all pretty good friends sure. so we hang out and talk about it. and that's one of the things we've 
we've broached in the past. It's like, you know, what makes us unique? What makes this area unique? Because um, uh, I don't think we've gotten there. Yeah. I really don't. We have a lot of breweries in Virginia and in yep. Maryland and whatnot. And honestly, within the last five years, definitely within the last 10 years, the quality of the beer that they're producing has greatly improved. Yep. So I think we're, we're at that point now where, where you're going to get beer, locally made beer here, just as good as anywhere else, in West Coast, East Coast, anywhere else, Northeast, uh, that you're going to be able to find. Um, I don't think we're at a point where we've really established ourselves in, in a stylistic way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's normal, too. See, I, I get to look at it from a different perspective. When we started the winery here, Virginia wine was looked down upon yep. you know, pretty <laughs> pretty heavily. Yeah. Uh, and rightfully so. The Carly really wasn't right. there. Um, it's just now yep. that it's starting we're not even there yet, yep. but we're starting to get national recognition right. of like, oh, you know what? They actually kinda sorta do make some wine and it has its own unique, you know, terroir, if you will. Right. And uh, it's not bad. Yeah. So we're starting to get that recognition now. But Virginia wine's been around for how long compared to Virginia beer, right? Yeah. No, so yeah. It has, um, it has. But I do believe, and, and you're in the business, so you can tell me that's not right. But this is my perception as a consumer. My perception is, is that the brewers here kind of started at a place of a, a better place of understanding what they were doing than the winemakers here. I think Virginia for a long time, decades, were, was, they were making wine, but they didn't understand the art of winemaking or the craft of winemaking as well as the, the brewers do. Um, and I'll do a variation on that. Okay. Virginia winemakers hadn't quite learned and understood the region, the terroir, okay. right. what they're able to grow and therefore make wine yep. from. And you're absolutely right. As brewers, all of us that have gotten into it, we're not limited to using local ingredients like the wineries are. So we're brewing, like for instance, the beers I'm making, the Belgian-style beers, these are you know, malt that has come from Belgium, the same you know, malt that the Belgian brewers are using, the same malt the English brewers are using in the English beers, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, same with the hops. Uh, I do use some local ingredients, but again, because I try to make stylistically accurate beers, most of my ingredients are sourced from wherever that style originated from. Um, so that's one limitation we don't have that wineries had faced in growing up. But with that said, what that limitation imposes on you is, okay, well, you're brewing stylistically Belgian or English or West Coast beers. Uh, therefore, you haven't really formed whatever your style is going to be here. Um, I don't know. I don't yeah. think we've, we've gotten that. I mean, now there are some breweries making some fantastic, really unique beers. A couple of them locally, right down the street from me at Belly Love, in fact, mm-hmm. make some great beers that, you know, you won't find anywhere else. Yeah. But in and of themselves are not, you know, definitively, uh, uh, you know, stylistic for Virginia. You know well, what I mean? They're saying, just unique on their own. Now, somebody suggested to me uh, that because more people are planting hops in this area, right. that that will come based on the hops and the ingredients. But I, I don't know enough about, I know more about winemaking than I know about brewing. 
I can't. I mean, I, it's not there now, yeah. perhaps. Yeah. Um, you're right. There are definitely a lot more people growing hops. Uh, people have tried growing grain as well. Right. Uh, it hasn't really quite worked. I mean, you could do rye and things of that nature, but uh, barley is super hard to grow in Virginia successfully. Really? Yeah. Um, and they did, uh, they've spent millions of dollars investing in the research for it. Um, it's not there. It's not there yet. Maybe it'll yeah. get there, but our climate's just not really conducive to it. Yeah. Uh, hops, on the other hand, yeah, we can grow uh, a select few of them. Um, uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll get there. We're not there now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, you know, I'm a homer, so I'm, I'm waiting to be able to say, ah, this is, a, here's a mid-Atlantic whatever. Yep. yep. Here's a Virginia whatever. I think that's also going to be defined a lot, not necessarily by the innovation of the breweries, but uh, a little bit with what the what the uh, your population's really into yeah. as well. Yeah. You know what styles and right now, I it, mean, just think about the, the DC area in general. We're so diverse here yeah. that our tastes are all over the place. Right. So um, I don't know. I don't know if we'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a beer that? Um, is uh, a style of beer that you haven't uh, we've already talked about which you're not really interested in but is there a style of beer that you really haven't investigated that you've kind of looked at and said eventually I want to try one of those or, or that you haven't tried um, that I haven't tried or that, tried, that tried, I haven't tried to make that I haven't tried to make um, actually I like a lot of German style beers mm. and um, I haven't really brewed too too many of them um, I mean, you know, the Pilsner, obviously, Ellis, right. and a couple others. Right. Um, but styles like the alt beer, you know, for instance, I love that when you go to like Dusseldorf or whatever. It's right. fantastic. I mean, you just liter after liter <laughs> or pint after pint. pint Sorry, yeah, but whatever. you know what I'm Whatever, yeah. Yeah, when in Rome. Yeah. Um, so there are a lot of those type of beers that uh, uh, from Germany. Um, Germany in particular, I've made most of the Belgian beers because I said I'm really into that. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Why are the Belgian beers? Why is their alcohol level a little higher than than, than others? Uh, of the styles that are high alcohol, yeah. um, they're not afraid to add easy fermentables in there, such as sugar. Uh, so most of the, the like, for instance, the the one that I have here called Lips That Lie, the Golden Strong. Uh, that style is almost 10% alcohol. And it's uh, called what? Uh, lips That Lie. <laughs> <laughs> I heard you the first time. I just wanted to hear yeah. it again. Right. Um, I, I, it's really deceptive. I'll give you a little bit of that because it's a light-colored beer. Okay. So, you know, people have that perception. They see this, like, straw-colored beer. Right. Like, oh, that's a light beer. Right. Uh, that's like 10%, my friend. <laughs> a couple of those will put you under. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, that one gets its alcohol predominantly from sugar. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I use actual Belgian candy sugar in that to yeah. get that, you know, not only the flavor, but also the boost the alcohol. Yeah. And it also reduces the body. So you drink yeah. it, Yeah. feel like you're drinking a light beer. You're like, uh, hello. Yeah. I'm kind of yeah. happy now. Yeah. That's one thing, <laughs> again, to go back to me, the, the old man here, about uh, craft beer that I had to get used to. We, I grew up, this is going to date me now, I grew up drinking, you know, you know, Bud, Miller, all that type yeah. of stuff. And Miller it, High Life, baby. Miller, that was Miller, my, that the was champagne of beers. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, 
And, you know, it was like watch a watch a football game. It was almost like drinking an alcoholic soda sure. thought. That's what right. we thought it was. You know, just drink, you know, that. Today, those are called seltzers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. And when I was introduced, and then for a long while, I just really didn't drink a whole lot of beer. Then when I was introduced, when I went back to beer, when, this is when the craft beer thing came on. Right. And two things happened. One, my description of it, it was like drinking a glass of bread. It was like super filling. And it was like you drink, I would drink a beer, like a craft beer, like I would drink a Coors. And oh my goodness, I'm suddenly like a little tipsy. Right. Right. <laughs> and I had to get used to saying, okay, this is like drinking wine almost. Exactly. You know, it was a whole different concept. Right. Um, and it just took some getting used to. But now that I'm, I'm, I'm into it, it's, 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 a, it's, it's a good, uh, it's a good add-on. It is. And, and you'll notice that, uh, I mean, craft beer really kind of runs a little gamut, right? Uh, it did definitely start off with the more flavorful, a little bit more powerful ales. Um, and it's still there. But you're seeing a lot more of the lighter lager styles coming now. Right. Because um, that, that's what turned, turned me away also, was the IPA thing. I mean, for a while, right. it, to my perception, uh, all I would run into was this IPA thing. And now, I'm a gin, I, I like gin. Right. But I understand why not everyone likes gin. Right. <laughs> Just, you gotta have the quiet taste. See, and there you go. And the IPA, to me, is like the gin of beers. It's like, you know, either if you don't like that taste, you're not gonna like it. Damn, that's a really good, yeah, I'll, I'm going to use it. I'm stealing that, just <laughs> okay, so you know. Okay. Yeah, that's the gin of beers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I like that. Yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. But I, I think uh, those heavier styles, those more um, flavorful, creative styles, yeah. I think are the reason you're seeing more and more craft brewers now. You know, it's all, back when I started, it was like, you have to have an IPA right, on right. tap. You have to. Right. You just have to. At least one, ideally two or three on tap at all times. Right. You know, now it's still, okay, you have to have an IPA on tap, but you have to have a light beer on tap. Right. <laughs> you know, you right. got to have something that's, you know, 5% or less, you know, lighter in color. You're, you know, the brewers call the the, the gateway beer. Right. right. So to try and get people into craft beer. What I find it funny is that when I speak to many brewers, some, of, some who make IPAs that are in high demand, you ask them, what do you like? They're like lagers and pilsners. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I they, they don't say, oh, the IPA that I make that everyone loves. No, it's like lagers and pilsners. That's why I've got this perpetual just like smirky smile stuck on my face. Like, yep, lagers and pilsners. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Me too. <laughs> so you start. All right. When did you start brewing professionally? Uh, in 2014. Okay. So if you could send yourself a text back to 2014, something that you know now, that you wish you knew then, if there was anything, what would you tell yourself? Oh, jeez, dude, that's a long <laughs> list. <laughs> just, just off the top that's of That's a long list. So when I first started, um, I, I had a homebrewer mentality, sure. right? And I'm, I'm trying to scale that up to planned production, having beers ready by a certain time, etc. My homebrewer mentality was, oh, okay, well, I need grain, I need hops, I need these ingredients, I'll get them as I need them. 
With grains, that's easy. Uh, I found out really quickly with hops, uh-oh, everybody and their mother wants hops. It's limited availability. I can't find the hops that I want when I want them. I'm like, well, all right, so you, I, I got into hop contracts, so you're basically securing future purchases. But you have to give them a quantity. How the hell are you going to know when you first started how much you're going to need? You know, you're going to assume a certain level of growth, and you're going to assume that your recipes are the same recipes you're going to keep, which aren't the case. So needless to say, I have a lot of hops I'm just kind of sitting there looking at right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I would probably not do that. Okay. But do hops have a, I mean, I know everything has a, a shelf life. Yes. But does our hops have a short shelf life? Or yeah. Yeah, relatively short shelf life, especially if you're using them for the, like your IPAs where you want that aroma and that finish. Yeah, uh, their bittering qualities reduce over time as well. So just in general, you got you know a limited time. I, I speak to a lot of grape growers, and when you know the, the the growers who are growing good grapes for wine, they tell me that. You know, when there's high demand for a particular grape, that they want to, they, they kind of want to give it to the winery they know is going to make a good wine. Right. You know what I mean? Is it the same with ingredients with uh, beers? Yeah, absolutely. So you know, absolutely. Yeah, reputation means a lot when you're trying to go get go get some of these. Re- reputation and size, right? So obviously, uh, the bigger guys get dibs. Um, the bigger craft breweries also get dibs, uh, and. Kind of rightfully so. Not only are they consistently buying more of that, but they actually, you know, go to these farms. They they, they have a personal relationship with these farms. Me, you know, I'm using, you know, what a couple hundred pounds of hops, uh, you know, of a of a certain hop a year. You know, that doesn't warrant me flying out to to Washington to secure, you know, 100 pounds of hops a year. Yeah. So uh, obviously, I'm not going to go through that, and therefore, I'm I'm on the bottom of the barrel or in the secondary market. Well, look, look uh, I told you that, you know, Belly Love, you know, I'd heard of Belly Love, and you, you, you have a good reputation in the area, but, uh, and you tell me if I'm wrong too, but, I, you know, the, the reputation of your family in Hillsboro Winery, I think, is maybe a little bit more expansive. It is. Has that helped when you say, you know, are you, you, and, and when you try to make these connections? Uh, um, no, no, not particularly. Okay. I mean, it hasn't hurt by sure, any means. Sure. But uh, both locations are intentionally designed differently. Um, Belly Love really caters more to the local, uh, 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 you know, local audience, if sure. you will. So we're drawing basically from everywhere from Leesburg um, out to maybe Round Hill or something like that. And people listening to this broadcast are going to be like, where the hell is all of that? And that's kind of the point. It's kind of, yeah. it's, it's a local brewery for our local population. Right. Uh, it has a small system. It's only three and a half barrels. So it's, you know, it's enough to support our small population. And it's as close to, you know, a cheers as you're going to get, if you will. You walk in, people greet you by name, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, versus here, this is more of a touristic destination. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's definitely more known. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, they're just two totally different animals. Yeah, yeah. Completely different. Yeah, well, I have to tell you, how did I hear about Hillsborough? I was at a winery that I won't name because they haven't come on my show. 
<laughs> uh, but there was a, a gentleman there, and we were at the tasting room. And, you know, Joan and I were there, and he said, "Have you been to Hillsboro?" I said, "No, we haven't been." He said, "Well, he talked about he entertains a lot of people from Australia, and he's like." All of my Australian uh, uh, guests love going there. You gotta go there. In fact, if you bring anyone from out of town, take them there, and they'll want to go back because he's like, "Look, they drink Fosters. They don't care about the wine. They just like the view." Yeah. And I was like, "But the but 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 I was like, but the wine is good." And he's like, "Yeah, but." It's, I well, I mean, there's there there's we like to think we're in the wine business yeah. and in the in the beer business, and we are. Uh, my brother takes tremendous care in making sure that he makes the best wine he can from the grapes that, right. that he raises. And he's essentially a one-man operation. I mean, obviously we have staff, sure. but he oversees the vineyard, he oversees the grape production, he oversees the wine production. So uh, it's really his baby. He wants to make the best quality. And I'm the same. You know, I don't cut corners in making any of the beer. I'm trying to make the best beer that I can make. Uh, I'm always learning. I'm always trying to, you know, learn from other brewers in the area, learn from publications and, and trade rags and stuff like that, and always improve my skill. With that all said, at the end of the day, Hillsborough is a hospitality business. We are a destination. Um, part of that is because, obviously, we've got amazing views. Um, but really, look, we're... we're we're DC's playland, yeah. right? You've got the city just uh, 40 minutes away, uh, and people want to leave that concrete jungle and come out here and breathe some fresh air, see some blue skies with some eagles flying overhead. You know, I'm trying to paint a Disney moment here, but I mean, it's <laughs> kind of like accurate. that. It's, 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 it's just accurate. a beautiful place to go hang out, have yeah. a couple drinks, and yeah. relax for the day. It's pretty accurate. Well, listen, Tolka, I want to thank you for taking time sure. to, to have this conversation. I'm, I'm going to leave you with the last word on like Virginia wine, on Hillsborough wine. What would you like people to know? Well, I think, uh, I think Virginia's come a long, long way with yeah. both, both wine and with beer. 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 Yeah. Um, and I couldn't have said this five, definitely ten years ago, but uh, you really are going to find some world-class wines and beers here in Virginia. And I think... Uh, obviously I'm a little biased, but I think we're pretty high on that list of really trying to care for the quality of, of not only the, the, uh, the wines and beers that we're producing, but also, you know, the experience for people coming out here. Uh, we deeply care for that. And I'd like to think that shows. It does. And I want to say that the, the two beers that I've had here today have been really good. Thank you. Really, and, and you described it very well. They were well-balanced, very clean, and uh, I hardly call myself a beer connoisseur, but I'll be back to get some more. That's, um, that's awesome. So thank you very much, Tolga. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Well, that's another show in the books. I had a fantastic time at Hillsborough Brewing speaking with Tolga Baki. If you live in or live near the DMV or you're planning to visit Loudoun County, Virginia, please go to the Hillsboro website and see when you can stop by. I know things have been changing a lot during COVID and I want to make sure that you'll be able to get in. Please, when you get there, let them know that Howard sent you. You'll have a great time. I'd like to thank Tolga Baki for taking time out of his busy schedule to be a guest on my show. Tolga, you're always welcome to come on and discuss all things food and craft beer related. I'm all about promoting the craft beverage industry in the DMV 
because it's some of the best in the nation, if not the world. And if you agree with that statement, please share the podcast with your friends. The more it grows, the more I can get the word out about this great culture we're you know, growing in the DMV. This show was written and produced and birthed, maybe messed up a little bit by yours truly. I'm Howard Fletcher. I'll be back next week with another craft beverage maker in the DMV to introduce you to. I know there's a ton of media that you could be listening to besides me, and that's why I work so hard to bring you the content that I do. I truly appreciate your time investment in me, and I want to make it worth yours. Thanks for listening. Remember, always have a designated driver, so I'll see you next time. East Ficata. You have been listening to Barrel Tasting with Howard Fletcher, part of the Fletcher Podcast Group. You can reach Howard at his website, barreltastingpod.com. I'm Asia Blue. Thanks for listening. See you next time.